do your other work at a different time, fellas. These guys are trying to hash out who's doing what in their first meeting. I was already logged into the show. I didn't even hear what he said. Yeah. It's all good, though. You guys are becoming big deals in the building, eh? <laughs> I told you. Nobody here knows how to do anything with video. <laughs> Everybody here is old. <laughs> so if you just come along and you know how to clip something, go, yeah, I know how to put a, together a TikTok. Go, Ooh. You guys yeah. are genuinely going to be more valuable than me in very short period of time. I think for them, they go, yeah, yeah, we'll just put some other mouthpiece. Anybody can just talk into this microphone. Not everybody can do the work we don't want to do. I don't know, know about that, JD. Mm. JD. I don't know about I don't know. that. I don't know. You're a special talent. Thank special you. Special talent. I agree. <laughs> I, I strongly agree. Anyway, so uh, a couple big things from yesterday. Obviously, Blue Jays, Bassett, Chris Bassett. I don't want to brag, but I may have sent a prominent insider a DM saying, Blue Jays just need to say, bleep the draft pick and go after Bassett. And then boom, hmm. shortly after, hmm. things got done. Yeah. Are you yeah. saying you're responsible I'm not saying I'm responsible, but I am <laughs> saying that I'm smart. Ah, okay. That's the whole <laughs> point here. Yeah. No, no. In all seriousness, the reason why I said that to this person and why I was kind of advocating for Bassett is because it's a really, really good fit. It really makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. Okay. So this is a guy who can be your number three or number four. Mm-hmm. He's also someone that projects out extremely well over the next couple of years despite his age. I totally get seeing a 34-year-old pitcher who doesn't have wipeout stuff being, oh, my God, you got how many millions? Over 20? My, my initial reaction, I'll be honest, to this guy, to this contract was that's it? Like, that's, that's all he ended up getting? Mm-hmm. It's not cheap, but look at what some of the prices have been this market. Clearly, this guy's value was suppressed a little bit by the draft pick compensation and the $500,000 in international signing money. So the Jays probably got one of their only players that they actually valued within their valuation system, which like talking to so many people that cover this team and that know this team and understand what's happening in the dynamics of free agency have said that the Blue Jays, that they are or that they have been a little bit inflexible when it's come to those numbers this offseason. But what did we talk about with Morosi? With John Morosi, when he came on here, he said he thinks or he thought that the Blue Jays needed to adjust their plan. And to me, this is a sign of adjusting your plan. Mm -hmm. You recognize that this is a win-now window, and you once again went out and spent more than 20 million bucks a year on a starting pitcher that your team really needs. And this is what bigger boy clubs do. It doesn't matter if you have Jose Barrios on the books. It doesn't matter if you have Yusei Kikuchi on the books. You go out and you add. Mm -hmm. It, It was a little bittersweet being reminded that Ross Dripling is going to be on the way out because he was such a good Blue Jay. He was so solid for them last year. But this guy is unequivocally better than Ross Dripling. It would be pretty shocking if over the next three seasons, Ross Dripling ended up with better results than Chris Bassett. Here's why. Um, he's an innings eater. He plays. He just He can play games, and you can rely on this dude. He's got the 11th best ERA since 2020. Which isn't everything, right? He's played in some, he played in Oakland for a little while, played in with the Mets. Mm-hmm. There are different factors that go into this, but his projections are pretty good too, even at a neutral ballpark like Toronto. So he's got, a, he's throwing his slider more, but he's got this amazing sinker that is basically, for whatever reason, Blue Jays are horny for sinker pitchers. Like they are all about guys who throw the sinker right now. Um, he doesn't really walk guys, 
and by all accounts, not a massive ego. And so if he doesn't end up pitching in the third game of a postseason, which was so much of this year, right? Hey, could you bump Barrios down? If Barrios bounces back, and Barrios, man, his ERA was over five last season. And so a lot of his projections are not, hey, this guy is going to be amazing. He's going to automatically bounce back. I just, I really like the Bassett signing. It's tough to give up a, a pick. Those have a lot of value. It, it is important to be reminded of some of the guys that the Jays have hit on with those picks. The international signing money, same thing. Clearly teams covet it. Clearly teams value it. But the Toronto Blue Jays are in win-now mode, and this is just this is kind of what you have to do. This is a little bit of a trade and a signing all in the same thing, which you'll live with. You'll happily live with this price if this guy projects out to be what he's supposed to be. Anyway, I, I couldn't really find many things about Chris Bassett that I didn't like for this Blue Jays team right now. It's just, it's like I said, it's a very, very seamless fit. A guy who can be the three, guy who can be the four. They got screwed last season by not having starting pitching depth. Mm-hmm. absolutely tattooed on it yep. and taking more lottery tickets and wild cards in the starting pitching market. It just wasn't a, sta- a sustainable plan for the blue Jays. Who did you want them to go get other than Chris Bassett? Who was the name? No, he was the top guy at the list. He was definitely the top guy left. Blue Jays finally got a little aggressive when out and got him. So good. Finally, not everything being backwards. And now the question gets focused on to, are you going to add another guy who's a lottery ticket or are you going to trust some of your internal developments? It doesn't really feel like they can do that. It still feels like to me they got to add another guy. That Kikuchi being in the spot that he's in still is it's it's too high a place of prominence. He's got to be a complete sunk cost, complete lottery ticket if he shows up and gives you something great. But you can't lean on it whatsoever and take it into the season where he's the number five. That's just me. And I think I shouldn't just say that's just me. That's that's like the consensus. <laughs> that's not a hot take at all. That's like most people, that's what they're kind of leaning towards. So anyway, I'm a big fan. I, I love this signing. And I always talk about the Sullinger test, right? And you guys don't know what that is, but I'll remind people. The Sullinger test is when you look at a the fan base that the player is leaving and how they're reacting to the departure of that player. And the reason why it's called the Sullinger test is because when Jared Sullinger came to the Raptors and there was a lot of media members telling you it was a really good move, all you had to do to find the truth was go to Boston and ask them how they felt about Jared Sullinger going down the street and going to the Toronto Raptors. And you know what they told you? Enjoy. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, Nicholas Obey Kubel. A hundred. I said that. Yeah. Like he's the same thing. He's applies. You do that with every guy that comes into the city. Yeah. Every free agent, every trade, whatever you go look at what the opposing fan base thinks. That's why, man, Blue Jays have had such a good job pilfering Oakland and that that's the best Sullinger test is taking from the Oakland athletics <laughs> because they'll just take any handful of prospects to do anything. That's the only downside of yesterday's news, by the way, if you're a Blue Jays fan is Sean Murphy, he gets traded, and by all accounts, I, I'm no Keith Law, uh, I'm no Ben Badler. I don't know anything about these prospects, okay? I have, I have not spent one second. I, I did not know who any of those guys were, those prospects, before yesterday. I'd never seen their names before. I basically, I wish there was like a Google Translate for prospects that you could just copy and paste and throw it into, and they would go, this is the equivalent for blank in your <laughs> like a player team's comparison. prospects. Yeah, something, these are some of the guys you know. This trade is decent. By all accounts, by the prospect nerds, it wasn't a very impressive haul. Mm-hmm. 
It was it was not exactly, oh my God. They got that. That's a lot. Blue Jays fans should get excited. It was actually more of that's all they got for Sean Murphy. <laughs> I know it's the A's, but oh, that's it. That's all they got for Sean Murphy. That's all they got. So what are the Blue Jays gonna get for the guy that less teams liked? Mm. In Danny Jansen. To me, I, I'm starting to become a little bit more of a believer of why don't you just pivot and consider trading Moreno? Mm. If you're in win now, what helps you more? I like the idea of layers, and I'm not saying that they should absolutely unequivocally do this. I'm just saying that if you're going to shop a catcher and Danny Jansen doesn't have any value or doesn't have any significant value. Shop the prospect. Yeah, shop the prospect. If he can bring yeah. you back something of real consequence, real significance. Anyways, they got to round out the outfield still. There's still some work to be done. I don't think that any of these things were their top choices. I think that Chris Bassett was, again, a a pivot for them because they had to give up the pick. They had to give up the money. But it's a nice one. It's an, yeah. it's a nice switch. I'm glad that they did it. It's a really good signing. It's a really good fit. There's there's Oh, yeah, the Sullinger test. I didn't even mention it. It's just that if you look at KFC from Barstool, huge, um, absolutely massive Mets fan. His Bassett tweet, he's devastated. And this was it. I would have much preferred Bassett over Senga and or Quintana. The only reason those guys, which is kind of obvious, I honestly, like some of it, yeah, who wouldn't want him over Senga uh, and Quintana? The only reason I like those guys is because it seemed like a lock that Bassett was going to get like five, six years, $120 million at this cost. They should have for sure brought him back. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that they didn't. Some people believe it's because the Mets are keeping some money around for bigger things next offseason, um, that they could end up actually being the Otani team. Like the I'm number surprised one. they even have money at this point. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> it's I, crazy. So them locking up Bassett to a bigger deal, not shocked that they didn't end up doing that. But either way, that's a, that's a prominent Mets fan. I love that he's the Bassett hound too, stealing that and doing the... Uh, that's fine. I can't wait. That's, that's I can't cool wait name. to do that. Anyway, so I'm very high on the Bassett deal. Very good on the Blue Jays for doing it. Mm -hmm. um, very excited by uh, his signing. Quickly, before we... I, I want to talk about the Raptors and their pieces and how who gets valued by what. But quickly, Austin, you got that audio? Sheldon Keefe? So, Leafs play the Ducks tonight. Leafs are 14-1-4 since they last lost to the Ducks on that West Coast trip where everything was falling apart. 14-1-4. And, and, and I think that what Sheldon Keefe said yesterday was really important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it because I think that we have Bobby and I don't really want to make him wait too long to this clip. But essentially, he said, the goaltending and the defense forced us to focus defensively and really tighten up with our possession of the puck. And we don't want to lose that edge. We don't want to lose that as we start to get healthier. And, and I am pretty fascinated by this with this team is I, everyone's always talks about like peak too soon, peak too soon, peak too soon. It would be really hard for the Leafs to sustain this level of play throughout the season. That's the thing that's been lost in this rebound. We've all been so surprised that, holy crap, they went from playing this poorly to 14, one and four. Mm. And this kind of sounds like party pooper, like party pooping going, oh, JD, you're so negative. Even you would look at this as a negative. And no, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm just, this is a genuine thought. This is what their coach is talking about. Hey, we've got the ducks in town. Yeah, it should be able to beat the crap out of them. But we're about to go through the slog of the schedule here. Through Christmas, through January, games that aren't going to feel all that important. Your season's not going to be on the line. You're not going to feel like you're trying to cover up for some of the injured guys. 
And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like how they manage and keep that edge and whether or not they, yeah, they, they threw one of their heaviest punches of the year during, yeah, I, it was still an important time of the year, but not the most important time of the year. Anyways, Raptors kind of need that because things are, the, well, I shouldn't say slipping away because there's so much parody in the NBA. Everybody wants to be the same now. Every league wants to be the exact same. They all want to just be equal. Um, no great teams, just everybody good. Everybody have a chance. Even the NBA, which my favorite, uh, because you could always rely on, hey, no, there's going to be good finals and there's going to be elite teams. And, and now, uh, uh, we'll see. But anyways, the Raptors are certainly not out of it. They're only a couple of games behind Cleveland and they're only a couple of games uh, ahead of Washington for like 9% in the lottery. But either way, they're below 500. Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider, former Nets assistant GM. Good morning, Bobby. It's been a while. Nice to, nice to have you. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm okay. Uh, Raptors land is full of rumors. Uh, I don't know if you've caught any of them, but there's starting to be a little bit of buzz that the, this team might end up picking a competitive direction sometime this season. You, you hearing a little bit of the same? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this is probably the time of year we all, we start hearing a lot, um, you know, leading up until, you know, February, I think certainly where they are in the standings, where they are from a, a playing standpoint, I mean, as is, um, it feels like this team is running out of running out of you know they're on fumes right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know if if they want to stay as is, they'll probably be a team fighting for a playing spot. I mean, if they want to try to um, move things some things around here, um, you know, the, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think I think a big question for me was what's going to happen with Fred. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the big question here is, like, are you comfortable paying him a lot of money in the offseason here? He has not been good this year um, at all. Um, their bench is not good. Uh, they don't have enough playmakers, you know, um, generally shooting here. So there's a lot of holes to fill here. I mean, the other night they're playing two guys off the bench and they're both, you know, forwards. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, but at the end of the day, as you know, you know, to, to – go out and add a player, um, it's going to cost you one of your own and, you know, probably some, some draft capital, but there's, you know, the names out there aren't, you know, I don't think there's anything solid, um, yet here. We saw, as I said, a couple months here, but yeah, just from watching, you know, the couple games in Orlando and just, mm-hmm. you know, certainly there's been injuries this year during the course of the year. I just feel like this team is on E right now. Yeah. They, they look exhausted both mentally and physically at times. Yeah, I was listening to our uh, Michael Grange. He was on the Raptors show the other day with Will Liu and Alex Wong, and he was mentioning how just being around their practices, you're seeing a lot of guys have chats off to the side, a lot of murmuring amongst players. Um, they've already had players-only meetings, and it's you know early December where they're holding some of these. I think that they've got a coach who is a perfectionist, who is someone who is hard on attention to details and who wants them to play really hard, but then also won't play a ton of guys. And for dudes like Fred Van Vliet, who, yeah, <laughs> haven't been able to stay healthy throughout their careers and who are basically playing as the only point guard on the team. I could see how that wears on a few of them. The problem with the idea of adding is, yeah, you, you mentioned it. They, they need too many things in order for them to be a competitor. And so it really does start to feel like you're going to have to make that decision on some of your players. And I, I'm glad you brought up Fred because he's actually been the, yeah, the, the guy that I've been focusing on a lot for basically the entire off season, because there were rumors of him getting a hundred million dollar contract extension. And it, it seemed foolish at the time for the Raptors to automatically just sign him to that, even with the potential of new TV money coming in. But if Fred Van Vliet 
Do you, first of all, do you think that he is a guarantee to opt out of the final year of his contract, given the way that he's playing right now? And if he does, what do you think he's going to be in line for? Yeah, I don't think that there's a guarantee. I mean, his, his player option number is right around, um, you know, $23 million. Right. Um, you know, certainly less than, than what the max is. I think certainly the, the market will dictate, um, you know, what who has room. I think there's probably nine or ten teams that have cap space. That's up from, I think, four from this prior, um, prior offseason here. But a lot of those teams are the teams that are, you know, the retooling, rebuilding, the Houston's, the Indiana's, the, you know, teams that already have point guards, right? Like, so you've got to find, you've got to find the fit. I mean, I think for me, for, for Fred, I think is, you know, certainly is the durability part of it as far as willing to commit, you know, $100 million or $25, 26 million And that's, Ooh. that's the big, you know, that's the big, you know, the question, um, you know, for me, I think, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with certainly the wear and tear of these. You mentioned like, the minutes is high. I mean, and they've all, but they've always been high. Yeah. I mean, this is not something new here. I mean, last year, I think, I think five, I think there are five starters or four other five starters ranked in the top 15 or top 20 in minutes played. Yep. So it's, you know, and, and Scotty's not playing well, you know, I mean, that's the other thing too. You know, he's not, you know, he, I don't want to say regressed here, but he hasn't um, probably hasn't taken that step that we thought to be that all-star level player. Um, and you know that that comes with it too. But yeah, I mean, I think I think if you're not comfortable with you know paying that money, you know, then you know what are you looking to do? Are you know are you going to move him? You know, are you going to you know you know let him go for nothing in the off season here? You know, it's, you know I, I always say it just takes all it takes is one team to come in and and you know give a you know a, a pretty good number. Well, the the last time Fred hit free agency, I thought that that was going to end up happening. That a team, I think that that was the off season where the Knicks and Pistons had a ton of money, and I went, well, why wouldn't these two organizations look for somebody who, at the time, and I think still is, sorry, but who then was viewed as, hey, culture setter, winner, someone who can come in and provide plus, even if it is uh, at a high dollar amount. Neither of them ended up being overly aggressive for Fred. He ends up returning on the contract that he's on right now. And a lot of people in Toronto went, phew, I can't believe those teams blew it and didn't end up actually going after and pursuing him. I wonder that even if he has a season where there is regression, that somebody like the Magic don't swoop in and say, yeah, this is yeah, a pathway that's forward. that's a good point. Yeah, yep. th- this is a pathway forward. We're not going to miss out on this guy. And maybe his value is a little bit lower. And so, yeah, if I'm the Raptors, that's the one option you can't have. You can't just let somebody walk for free when you have depth issues and when you don't have exactly a ton in the cupboards. They've got their own picks, but... This isn't a team that's just sitting on, you know, three or four great-looking young players. They've basically got Scotty, who's regressed, Precious, who's been hurt, and then some flashes of Delano Banton, who, yeah, I think it's flashes of a, a backup point guard more than it is of a star. And so, yeah, how do you recuperate that? So if you, if they did go that way, if they did decide, hey, they're going to explore a Fred Van Vliet trade, how do you think his value would be perceived around the league? Well, I mean, I think you have, I mean, the player option hangs over, right? So it's not like, you know, if you've got a, um, a window, you know, to go out and, you know, I think the window is, you know, you've got to do something before January, you know, right before January 30th, because then he won't be extension eligible for the max amount. Right. So mm-hmm. I think if you're a team, you're looking at, okay, um, you know, what are we looking to give up? Are we comfortable resigning him? What's the market look like? You, you mentioned, you know, Orlando's great. That's a great destiny. I mean, that's, there have been point guard starved down there. It's been a re- recycling door 
and that's something they they, they miss dearly is a, is a good is a good point guard, um, a guy that can kind of run run the team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there will there'll be a market here. But all right, so what are you looking to do now? Are you looking really now just to tear this whole thing down? And then really just build through the draft, and because eventually you're gonna to have to figure out what you do with Pascal, right? Mm-hmm. He's got a, he's got this year and next year. OG's got a player option for, um, you know, uh, 2024, 25. Um, you know, Gary Trent's got a player option this off season here. So you're just gonna you're gonna you can tear it down to the to the studs and just kind of build through. You know, through the draft and, you know, you know, building through, you know, some of your younger players or and Scotty's your guy as far as that. I mean, I think that's kind of like that's the crossroads you're going to you're going to face. You know, you content being a, a six or seven seed in, in the Eastern Conference here. So those are all you know, those are those are big questions there. Yeah, they're especially big questions when they have a coach that I wouldn't consider to be. And, and granted, maybe he is more patient for something like this than I would assume, but. Nick Nurse, there's there's a reason why he plays the set group of guys. Like when you mentioned them being in minutes played, right? They're the only team in the NBA with four players in the top 20 for minutes played. And part of that is a depth issue for the Raptors. That's roster construction and few injuries, as we mentioned. But part of it also is that they've got a head coach who is desperate to win every single night. That's how he is. I don't know how he would how he would fit in a rebuild. I don't know how Masai, if whether or not that's still an aspiration of Masai and Bobby Webster's that they would want to see something like that. The problem is I just, I don't see a path forward to them contending unless they were actually going to shop Scotty Barnes in some type of trade offer, including their picks to try and get some star. And, and who's that player that's available that really changes their outcome that puts them on the level of a Boston or Milwaukee. And so to me, I would think that the theory would be something kind of in between where you try to shop the contracts that are coming up try to turn them into assets and then decide moving forward, you know, what you end up doing that. Do you package some of those picks and younger players or contracts for other guys? Or do you look like you're even going to be closer and then a year down the line, try to maybe explore something for a Siakam as scary as that sounds. So like the next guy would be Gary Trent, right? Who fits in that mold. And he's another player who it seems pretty clear that every piece of messaging that we get out of a very tight Raptors front office is they don't want to pay him that hundred million dollars either. That if he's in line for the Tyler hero money, they're going to say, thank you, but no, thank you. Do well, one, do you think that's realistic in terms of an extension for him? And two is what is, what does he command on the market? Because last time it was for a rental player in Norm Powell. And now I feel like, there's more information on Gary Trent that like you can't even sell yourself more on, I guess the higher ceiling of the player. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you're not going to be able to pay everyone. And I think it, it's, you know, it's something that I'm kind of working on right now is, you know, looking at teams and like, like Memphis has done a really good job. They basically slot players as far as what their role is. And as far as what their salary is going to be. Right. So there's a pecking order, right? So you've got job ja Morant and you've got Jaron Jackson. Okay, so when you're you're entertaining extending Brandon Clark, he fits a certain role. Tyus Jones fits a certain role. So, like if you think Gary Trent is you know starter level but not top starter, you're not going to pay him a hundred million dollars. You're not going to pay him twenty five million dollars. You know to, to to be where Fred is right now, where Pascal is there. Like you could find, you should be able to go out and find maybe a first round a guy that you draft or an undrafted player to kind of fit that role there. I mean that's what you're. That's what your personnel department is for. And I think the interesting thing is that teams like Utah and, and certainly Indiana um, have shown 
that you do not have to bottom out to rebuild, right? Like you can kind of rebuild on the fly a little bit here and, and still keep your, your cup, you know, and add to your, your draft asset pool here, whether it be, you know, maybe you're, you're a 500 team, but man, you you've got a ton of flexibility next year. You've got a ton of draft picks coming in. You can kind of shape it the, the way you feel it instead of feel like you're boxed into, into a corner. Yeah, to me, it's it's actually so obvious for them that they have to do these things that I just I don't even really get the the other the other side of it. Like what they're going to wait for Precious Achua to get healthy, and they feel as though that's going to really change their fortunes as a group. It's just yeah, I I think that they they were fine being patient and and evaluating this team and really taking the they call it like Project Six Nine into this season. But it just it the pieces that they put around those guys have clearly not really worked. And yeah, now they're at a crossroads, like you mentioned, with some of these contracts where you say, wait, what, what exactly is going to be your team now? You're going to give everybody one of these deals? You're going to give everybody $100 million that's in your core to remain kind of as a, a tough out, but not title contender? It just, it doesn't really seem, um, yeah, like, uh, uh, that doesn't seem like a path that Masai Ujiri would end up taking. So this, this is the bigger one. If, if they end up doing that, do you think they'd ever even consider a Siakam trade in a season like this one? Because like, that's the nuclear option. That's the actual, Hey, um, this is becoming a full rebuild. This is becoming a full We're we're resetting and taking some of the pressure off of Scotty Barnes in season. This is our major chip. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you consider it if you're not comfortable paying him. Mm. you know, I mean, he's, he's got 38, he's on a $38 million expiring contract next year. And, um, the likelihood is he probably doesn't make all NBA this year based on the games missed. I, you know, and it's, it's a pretty deep field here. So, I mean, he's extension eligible here. I think, I think the Siakam one is, you know, unless there's a great offer to come, you know, I think that's something that you explore in the off season when he's extension eligible, right? Let's say like, you know, Hey, if he's going to, you know, kind of, Hey, I want to, I want to see what the market is in, in the 2024 off season. Then you think about, you know, then you have to kind of keep what your options are going um, you, your options are going to be here, but, you know, I mean, I think of it, you know, if, if, if he wants to be here, I think it, of course it comes down to the number. I do think you have to keep certain players, you know, OG's having a great year, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's probably, probably the, probably their best player considering what's, you know, what's gone on here. So that's another guy like he, his value is going to be through the roof, right? Like if he hit the open market this off season, like you're looking at probably like, million a year, Mm -hmm. a wing, you know, a big wing here. So that's the thing. I like, you know, the numbers eventually start adding up here when we we started with Fred and then we talked about Pascal, OG, eventually Scotty down the road, three years from now here. Like, so the one thing you don't want to be is paying $160 million in payroll for a team. That's a seven seed. Yeah. I don't think that ownership or anyone is going to, they, they trust Masai, uh, a lot. He has a lot of equity here, but there's no way that if the results look anything like this over the next year and a half, that they're re-signing this group and yeah, handing out twenty plus million dollar contracts to everybody. Like that's just that's just not going to be the way that this thing operates. The the major. So I agree with everything you said. It's it's really hard for me to envision a Siakam trade in season. Um, yeah, like I said, I think that you're trying to move the two contracts that you have right now that have some urgency to them. It's difficult, like you mentioned, with those player options. I, I didn't think that they might be as prohibitive. But is this going to be... Do you think this year shapes up to be a buyer's market? Like, how are you interpreting all the the middle class of the NBA? Because it, it just feels as though 
there are the two really great teams in the East that just feel like they're on a collision course. And then a bunch of groups where you can kind of, there's a couple at the very top where you can maybe squint. The West is totally wide open, but then the rest of the league, just they kind of feel like they're in similar positions as the Raptors where they could decide, yeah, all right. I guess like we could just keep this together and get into the playoffs and get a little revenue, stay competitive, roll this thing over. But I like you go through all the teams that who could be available from them. Yeah. And, and it's just, <laughs> yeah, they, it, it just, the list is longer when it comes to teams that might have people to sell. Yeah. There's a lot more buyers than sellers. I would say, I mean, even like Detroit, who's sitting in the bottom of the East, you know, you're hearing, you know, Boyan Bogdanovic is having a great year and like, but why are you going to trade him for a protected first? Right. He's got this year and two more years and the last year is on a, partially guaranteed contract like what what does that do for you um you know certainly charlotte's going to be in it you know we'll circle charlotte with based on what's going on there they're seven and 20 with guys like mason Plumley and kelly Oubre. um you know orlando with terrence ross um but even like i mean then you look at like all right the wizards are a good team but they just gave 250 million dollars to bradley beal now you're going to be sellers with kyle kuzma who's got a player option for um you know, this off season, Chicago is another thing. I mean, they just traded away the farm, you know, mm-hmm. they just traded away three first round picks. Now all of a sudden you're going to trade DeMar DeRozan here. So, I mean, Indiana, Utah, those are probably the two teams to probably keep an eye on, but where are they? You know, they're, they're in a the top 10 right now. Where does that, where do they, where does that lead you when we get closer to um, the February 9th year? So, yeah, I think things will eventually shake out. I mean, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, 85% of the trades, and I think in the last five years, occurred the week of the trade deadline or on the deadline. Mm. So it's not like, you know, everyone makes a big deal about December 15th when, you know, players can be traded and stuff. There hasn't been a trade on December 15th in 2010. So it just starts to open up a little bit more. I think there's more dialogue. Certainly this next week in Vegas for the G League showcase where everyone's at, we'll start hearing more things here. But you're right. I mean, there's just not enough. For right now, there's not enough sellers out there. Even got teams like Houston. You know, Houston's eight and eighteen, but really the only guy they've got is Eric Gordon to be kind of a you know a, you know trade partner. I, I, the way I look at it right now is yeah, Pacers, Bulls, Wizards. Even you'd have to think that the Magic would consider moving some stuff. Um, it, you've basically got all this like weird middle class of the East that might end up selling to the upper middle class of the West. That that feels like the destiny of the season to me. Because, like, you go through the Western Conference and it's just all teams that have holes and flaws and all teams that are going to talk themselves into being a little bit better. Because, like, how many teams could you see coming out of the Western Conference this year? Well, I mean, I mean... I mean, you're probably... You can make an argument for New Orleans, certainly Memphis, Denver. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could... Suns? Denver, Phoenix, Clippers, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, five or six teams where in the East... Two. I know there's more parity, but I do think there's a little more separation from where probably Boston and Milwaukee are. Yeah. I know Boston hasn't played great the last couple of games here, but I think there's I think there's I think there's probably less parity uh, up and up in the top in the East compared to the West. I mean, the West is as wide open as we we've seen in a long time. So I'm saying, like, there's there's ten teams in the West that are above 500, and I don't think that the Jazz will be buyers, but yeah, every team above them. Warriors, Mavericks, Clippers, Blazers, Kings, Suns, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Pelicans. You could 100% convince me. They look at trades and say, yeah, we, we, would like to, we would like to add. And that's where I do also think it gets interesting for the Raptors is what can you do there? The, the one that I'm, I'm really curious about, though, Bobby, and I'll, I'll end on this, is what do you think, where do you think the Lakers are at with Russell Westbrook and those picks? Because mm-hmm. it, it used to feel like, hey, anybody that will take Russ gets automatically right. two first-round picks. 
And I was kind of advocating if the Raptors could move Fred and, and Gary Trent in the same trade to the Lakers, they shore up a lot of their guard depth. They get some leadership, someone who can run the point. They get way more shooting. They get off Russell Westbrook. The Raptors take him, but they give up the two first-round picks, which allows the Raptors to either, you know, rebuild down the future with those or parlay those picks if they want to do that kind of, you know, mid-rebuild that we were talking about. And now, I, strangely enough, I don't think that the Lakers do that trade. Yeah, I think for the Lakers, I think you're looking at probably, you know, what can Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn and maybe a, a protected one get you, right? I mean, that's kind of, you're looking for like that $20 million player compared to, um, you know, trading both. I think you need to keep one um, instead of, you know, because their assets are just so limited here that um, if they would have, you know, if you would have put that in the store in the summer, they probably would have said, yeah, let's do it. 100%. Right. Like, but nobody, you know, Toronto wasn't at a position where you're looking to, to, to do that here. So, yeah, I think the Lakers are interesting. I mean, um, you know, they're, you know, on the outside 11 and 15 here. Um, but you know, they've showed in, in the, the, the sample games before AD, I guess got sick, um, that they, they can compete with teams here. I don't know if they can beat teams in a seven game series. That's the, that's going to be the hard part. And the hard part is going to get into to, to be in the top six, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, eventually Golden state will get into the top six here. So now you're looking at who's kind of, kind of get bumped out. Bobby, um, always enjoy getting to pick your brain. Thanks for coming on with me this morning, man. You got it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a good holiday. You too, pal. Uh, Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider. And okay, this is the, this is the thing. Again, people are going to look at this and say negative. It's whatever. I, I actually, I'm not going to frame it this way. I don't know how you could look at the Raptors right now and say that the path to contention is to keep rolling this over and and leave it as the status quo. I get that people are sentimental about some of these players, especially Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet getting his eye busted open in the NBA Finals is always going to be an iconic image. Fred Van Vliet going from unplayable in the Sixers series to rounding into form and not missing anything after his daughter was born in the Milwaukee series is Toronto lore for my lifetime. For everybody, if you're listening to this right now, you're paying any even casual attention to this, you will remember Fred Van Vliet's run with the Raptors in the end of the finals. Yeah, as long as you care about sports, as long as it ever comes up. And when you discuss moving players like that, it it becomes more than just, yeah, that, that's where it should matter. That's where you should feel a little pissed off that I'm talking about trading Fred Van Vliet. That's a fine thing. That is a good thing. That means that that guy means something to the city. That means that that guy accomplished something in the city. I just, again, do not see the path to improvement if you're just offering up Gary Trent. Because you think that the Raptors are the only smart team that doesn't want to pay Gary Trent $100 million? Yeah, will, will someone out there come around that money for someone who is that will talk themselves and saying, you know what, high pedigree, NBA family, went to a great college, came to the NBA super young, has been around now, a, a couple of just good cultures in Portland and Toronto, can shoot the hell out of the ball, can create a shot, has, can come off the bench now, we're learning. Hey, maybe Gary actually feels pretty comfortable with that role, being a, an elite six man. There's a lot to like about Gary Trent Jr. I'm not trying to just trash the player and say he's junk. He's not. I like Gary Trent. I'd actually prefer if it was on a reasonable salary that the Raptors decided, hey, you know what, given his age, given that we don't have any shooting, if there's nothing out there, yeah, you'd almost rather pay him, in my opinion, than Fred, given some of the risk factors involved. Problem is, is that you should be able to find Gary Trent for cheaper. I'm sorry, but you should. 
Look at Sam Hauser on the Celtics. Who would you rather have right now? Gary? Okay. Do you want him almost $100 million more than Sam Hauser? Probably not $100 million I'm, ju- I'm just saying, like, when it comes to bench scoring three-point threats that are okay, not horrific defenders, you, you should be able to have a, a smart front office that can identify those players, find those players, and bring them in around a winning culture. That shouldn't be something that you have to spend $100 million on. And so, yeah, what's Gary Trent's value around the NBA? I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm not really positive what a team is going to be willing to pay for someone that could, again, opt into the player deal. I'm not sure we'll end up doing it. But who they might not want to have around for two seasons, that's the Fred part of this too, right? He just said it. Maybe maybe all of a sudden Fred Van Vliet is opting in. I think if you're the Raptors, by the way, and he is, then you can consider keeping him for another year and, and running this thing, like if the price isn't right. But what I said is the part about this that I believe in the most is right now there are teams that are offering pieces in a trade and it looks like a a market with a lot in it. Because I'm looking at it right now and saying the Pacers will definitely deal with you. Miles pa- Turner? Yeah. The Pacers, the Pacers will very likely make a trade. Especially since the Raptors desperately need defensive rebounding. They are the worst team in the NBA. Oh, no. I'm not talking about with the Raptors. Oh, you're talking, oh I thought no, you were talking no, about no, the no, Raptors. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like selling to the greater NBA at oh, large. Oh, okay, okay. Pacers will have pieces to offer, although that's going to be interesting to monitor as they take a step this year. Sometimes teams do get a little bit, hey, if the rebuild is way ahead of time of the timeline and we're not getting anything great back, then maybe let's hold. But either way, I could see the Pacers selling. I think the Bulls are definitely going to sell DeRozan and Vucevic. And I know Bobby said, hey, you just went all in. Now you're going to sell those guys? Yeah, because you have to. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. And it's even at the time, anymore. even at the time, I remember looking at the Vucevic trade going, what the hell is this? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Vucevic? Yeah. The guy, Marcus Gasol, just, you know, owns. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how old. Marcus Gasol could come back to the NBA tomorrow and easily dominate Vucevic. Come back like, from Spain. <laughs> I, I don't know how old he'd have to be. There's, there's used to be, you guys ever get into those like dumb bar room arguments about, hey, how would George LaRock, how, how old would George LaRock have to be before you could beat him in a fight? You know, like you and your prime versus George LaRock. I wonder. Like, <laughs> no, that's doing something like that. That's, that's Vucevic with Marcus Gasol though. People go, hey, Nick, how old do you think Marcus Gasol would have to be for him not to just put you in his pocket and embarrass you in front of everybody. And he goes, I don't know, 80, 85, 85. something along those lines. Either way, Bulls going to sell. Wizards are definitely going to shop Kuzma. If he doesn't want to be there, they're not going to let him walk for nothing. They're like, Again, they're 11 and 17. Mm-hmm. The Hornets pieces will be available, especially if guys like Dennis Smith Jr. end up playing really well for them. They're going to, they're going to shop. And yeah, the Pistons just lost Cade for the entire season. Yeah. So, I trust Bobby's acumen way more than mine when he says, hey, are you going to trade Dogdanovich for a protected first? I would be saying, yeah, you kind of have to because what what is this season all about? Like, you don't even get all that much information outside of Jaden Ivey. Mm-hmm. Like, what what are you doing this for? The, your entire franchise is going to be about how pieces work around Cade and you can't get any of that information. So if a team comes calling and offers you for a, a sharpshooter who can actually give you something in a big game, yeah, you're you're going to do that. I would imagine that the price on him goes up. Either way. That's right now. That's right now where you look at the East, but I'm, I'm telling you, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Nuggets, Suns, Kings. Kings could do something dumb, okay? Kings could do The beam dumb. team? The beam team. I'm the, all in on the beam team. Yeah, I'm in on the beam team too, but I'm just saying that they could end up getting a little aggressive and saying, huh, maybe we got to do something. Trailblazers are apt to never know. Are, are you fully out on Dallas too? 
No, I'm fully in on that. Okay, I'm just okay. going down the standings right now, Joe. Just be patient, I'm sorry. my young Padawan. I got ahead of myself. Yeah. <laughs> Clippers, Mavericks, Warriors. Even Timberwolves, Lakers. That's 11 teams in the West that as of today, you could tell me in a couple months might be wanting to add. Mm-hmm. And the level, it just, you know, it just takes a couple of teams to all of a sudden drive up a bidding war. And I, I'm, I'm not going to do the whole fake I, this market should have learned its lesson when it came to the Lowry trade when people were going, maybe the Raptors are going to get Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thybul, yeah, no. and first for Kyle ridiculous. Lowry. Ridiculous. And then it turned out to be Precious Achua and Gord Dragic's contract. And people went, pardon me? Oh, I remember that there was the one rumor that said like, it was like some guy on Twitter no. who just like started saying like Maxey's in the deal and everyone well, freaked out about it. There and actually then... is. There, there, I, I will say this. I, I don't think that there was ever all those things together. Yeah, I, I, I'm still not convinced that there was never any serious maxi discussion. But there could have been some serious discussion. I've never discussion. had anybody refute it to the degree where I've gone, huh, I'm completely convinced. I'm just saying, I, I do wonder how the Raptors played that. My point is, is that I'm not going to try to be on here and go, you know what, the Kings might end up being like, oh, you know what, Keegan Murray, he, he, we just picked him really high, but now we'll do a Gary Trent. No, 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 like, no. I don't think that teams are going to go that crazy yeah. for some of these Raptors players, but... Yeah. I mean, I, Gary's I, second in the NBA in bench scoring right now. Here's what you always need come playoff time. Leadership and shooting. And mm-hmm. that's an experience. And Fred Van Vliet brings that, and so does Gary Trent. And I'm sorry, but even with those two guys having down seasons, I think both those players could end up helping you in a postseason more than Vucevic or DeRozan, who are, yeah, liabilities. Mm-hmm. So... If the Raptors have those pieces, that's what I've been saying about these losses and helping them determine the direction and force their hand. Masai's been patient. Masai's been waiting. Maybe that opportunity comes. But if it does, they can't get sentimental. Anyway, quick break. Let's come back and uh, look at the fishy lines of the week. I got a couple this time, this time around. Sportsnet 590. The fan. All right, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not going to lie. Kyler went down last night. Terrible. Boop. TV off. (laughs) Crushed uh, the end of White Lotus. I just said, you know, I don't need this tonight. I really don't. I really don't need... To have another night of watching sports I don't really care about. And I thought, you know, I floated around. I I did throw on uh, a little bit of the Devils-Rangers game and thought, yeah, you know what, I'm going to watch a little bit of this. And it was decent, but then I went, you know what, White Lotus time. There's nothing nothing holding me back here. Still never seen it. Never watched it. It's fine. I'm looking to watch it as well. No spoilers. Yeah, don't worry. Do you think I'm ever like that? I never spoil. (laughs) I don't. I I very much subscribe to the the don't spoil gang. Hmm. I, I'm very. I'm, I'm pretty diligent in that response. But yeah, it was like a pretty crummy night in the NBA. Like, what was I going to watch? Spurs, Cavs. Like, no. I went. You know, I could wait up for Clippers, Celtics. Nah, not doing it. It was an off, it was an off sports site. I just watched a little bit of football. I was kind of tracking on my phone because I did have those bets. But then the Kyler Murray uh, one was done. Some books refunded the Kyler bets because of the injury. Mm-hmm. That sucks for the Cardinals. I I don't know. We'll see what I end up doing this week. But yeah, 
it was funny watching these two teams where you went, what is the, your guys' future at mm-hmm. quarterback, yeah. both of you, and at head coach? Yeah. That was the only interesting angle from Cardinals Patriots. Yeah. It was the future of the two teams playing yeah. the game. <laughs> what What are you guys going to do at QB moving forward? And what are you guys going to do at head coach? Because it, it's going to feel at some point like, yeah, it, there's that doesn't feel like a lot of permanence there. Yeah. It's weird to say that about Belichick, but maybe Belichick is gone. There's been a little bit of rumbling. And this is the other thing I've been wondering too is if the Brady rumors are true that he could want to come back to New England and Bobby Kraft says, bring my son home. <laughs> oh, Bobby Kraft. How does Belichick feel about that? They're definitely not having Matt Patricia there for ending yeah, Tom Brady's career. You yeah, think if no, Tom Brady's no. circumventing the coaching staff in <laughs> in Tampa, he's not listening to Byron Leftwich, he's going to show up and say, no, Matt, no, no, you tell me, Matt. No, you told me what we should do. That's him every single huddle. And then he gives, he just gives him a big eye roll. He's like laughs. And goes He's 48 years old. Matt Patricia just, yeah, I, I do it, please. Like, no, no shot. Anyway, it is uh, Tuesday. So we look at, we look out for the fishy lines, the sketchy lines. We try to find out why, why is a number of the way that, why are you the way that you are? As Michael <laughs> Scott would say to Toby. Um, Everything you do. That I want to be fun, you make it not that way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's that's usually betting in general. For it me. is. It was last night. You see that the Cardinals mascot broke his ankle too. Mm, I did see he that, did but I didn't watch broke his it. Ankle. Yeah, poor Crazy. guy. Crazy. It's like the Raptor. Is the Raptor still the Raptor, Boff? Do we know? I think so. As far as I know, he better be. He's the ra- he's the Raptor. Yeah. So. Devin Booker's first enemy. No, but the the <laughs> Raptor, like the Raptor, the guy that is the Raptor. What he, he tears Achilles or something? Like oh, he had, yeah, he came back from it though. Yeah. I think it was miraculous recovery. Yeah, but that that dude in there is I want to I really do believe he's forty plus. Really? Yes, yes, dude. Oh, like he's the OG Raptor from the start. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't move that. like a forty. Oh, no, I don't think that. But I I just mean in recent years he's been he's got to be some kind of gymnast. He's, I, there's been many articles written about this. Yeah. I. I <laughs> Run mascot. But no, I'm dead, I'm dead serious though. He hurt himself significantly, came back from the injury. I don't know if he's still doing the career though, but I now that I'm thinking about it, the the Raptor has taken a bit of a dip, a bit of a setback when it comes to aggressive athleticism over the, the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story not enough people are writing. Anyway, uh, lines that stick out. Number one is the most obvious to me. Vikings. The ten and three Vikings, only four point favorites against the Indianapolis Colts, who conspiracy theorists a couple of weeks ago thought were just trying to completely tank and bottom out for a draft pick. Yeah, that's a Saturday at one o'clock game. I know the the Colts are coming off a bye, and the Vikings are coming off of a weekend where everybody says they suck, despite being ten and three. <laughs> And they're four point but four points. Four point favorites. Why? I think the Colts are going to win this game. To be honest, hmm. I, I, I'm also just not big on the Vikings at all. We talked no, we no talked about is, this yesterday. That's that's a bold pick. You think the Colts are going to win? Yeah. Well, I, I Vegas no, kind of thinks they could. They're I have only no plus faith in the Vikings. You only get two to one. Every like, every team Minnesota plays is a one score game. Yeah. Every single team, and I who, who trusts Kirk Cousins? Do you guys do you guys have a fishier line than that? Because that that by record like. That is, and Minnesota's home. This is a Minnesota Vikings yeah. home game. After they got embarrassed, after the whole world is saying, you stink, 
and they're minus four. I I'm just a, that's weird to me. I'm a bit surprised that the Dolphins are beyond a touchdown underdogs against the Bills, and I, I think the Bills are winning the game. I'm not surprised but, by that. Dolphins but, also stink. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at the last time they played in division game, but do you remember Dolphins what happened in that game? For, I know, but like, I don't know. A, a full touchdown. I'm on, I'm on Buffalo's train right now. Over a touchdown for a divisional game where Miami's still fighting to, for that playoff spot. Like, I just did that work for you last week? Oh yeah, the Jets covered that. Right, yeah. Jets. Yeah, you had Jets. Yeah. I was just trying to remember what was your bet. It was, it was just, the Jets. It was no, a, I just I wanted to make 10. sure that that uh, Joe, as he followed you, was actually no, no, following was, recency bias. Buffalo does the the division thing, and I'm okay. on it this week. I just I don't know. Over a touchdown between Miami and Buffalo this year. Mm-hmm. I think still I still think Buffalo will win. I think they're a better team, but I think it's a game that the, the, the Dolphins get up for. I'm just saying. I yeah, it it looks a little big. It, it does. It looks like mm-hmm. a bit of a big line. But I I'm just saying. I understand that one more, given yeah. what has happened to Miami the last couple of weeks and the yeah. fact that Tyreek Hill limped off the field. Because if there's no Tyreek, how many points do you guys think Tyreek is worth? Three, more, four. I, I is he a quarterback? Ty- oh, oh, that's Ty- what you dude. Ty- we ju- we talked about this yesterday. Like Tyreek Hill is the identity player of his football team. Yeah, for he sure. He is more valuable, in my opinion, than Tua. Straight up. If you got to go from Tua to Teddy or Tyreek to practice squad receiver, it's pretty clear to me who you would want yeah, he's on the roster. He's a superstar. I, like, can wonder, you guys name the Dolphins third receiver? Isn't it uh, Sherfield or whatever his name is? Yeah, it is. But oh, yeah. I he's had a couple big plays. But yeah, I don't weeks. even know. I'm, yeah. ask, I'm What's his first name? Trent. Exa- Trent, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, honestly, though, like I, I, this is a high number to me too, but yeah. I'm also wondering if they're factoring in the Dolphins traveling on a short week because they stayed in California because they faced the Niners, then the Chargers. So yeah. they, I don't, I don't, and I don't the know. Weather too. I just, I think this price would look shocking if Tyreek was healthy, but I don't think he is, and I'm not sure he plays. And so with him being a question mark, that to me is a pretty obvious number. Like short week, he's not getting healthy right away. He's not. Yeah, he's not going into Buffalo and looking awesome in this game. It's just not happening. Yeah. And so not if he was actually being truthful with that, the way that he looked. Mm-hmm. And he did. Remember the last play of the game that they tried to run for him and he just went right to the sideline, like hobbling away. They were working on his shin. It just didn't look very good, man. It just didn't look very positive. So to his recent play and Tyreek's potential injury and the amount of snaps that that defense has had to play. Have you guys looked at that? They were talking about a little bit on the broadcast, but that defense has been on the field the last yeah. couple of weeks. So to me, th- again, this isn't this isn't where we pick a line. This is just where we try yeah. to flesh one out. And that, to me, right now, given those parameters, is not that sketchy. Do you have one, Pete? Do you have one, Mark? Either one of you guys have a, a sketchy line? Well, it's sketchy line, you know? Like, I'm looking at uh, Detroit Lions and New York Jets. It's a pick em. And uh, the Jets might be without Mike White. Like, he took those bad hits. He's day-to-day right now. Mm-hmm. So if Joe Flacco's starting, we know Zach Wilson's going to be uh, benched or not dressed. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of high on the lines these days, so that could be an interesting game. And then also, um, this That's might be... That's a good be... point, though. Even if it is Mike White, he's going to be what version of Mike White? He's going to mm-hmm. be Mike White with no ribs. God, I love Mike White, though. Everybody he's just awesome. is all about Mike White. <laughs> he's awesome. And then also Kansas City Chiefs versus the Houston Texans. Texans at home, 14 points, too many points in my opinion. Yeah, this, um, this Jets line is fishy. You're, you're right. The, the, Jets, the Jets not being bigger underdogs after all the Lions hype and with potentially Joe Flacco back there. With Zach Wilson as the potential backup yeah. if they dress him. Yeah. If they dress Although him. Although if, if Mike White doesn't play, they got to play Zach again. Yeah, I think you'd have to. Joe Flacco is a punt. That's a automatic loss, and you're in a playoff hunt. There's no way you could convince me that 
Zach Wilson isn't a better option than Joe Flacco. I'm sorry. You just cannot do that. And so, yeah, if, if Zach, apparently he is healthy, right? They're just saying, they're yeah, saying some lie about, been, no, no, it's so funny. They're like, Oh, what we think is it's better if he's just like not able to ever play. It's good, <laughs> what's good for his development. That's the case. And people go, uh-huh, yeah, no, that definitely makes sense is he's working with the practice squad. <laughs> no, that's why he should be here. Anyway, I agree. That one's fishy. What was the other one you said? All right, Kansas City Chiefs, Houston Texans. I was just surprised Ooh. with uh, the Texans versus Cowboys game uh, this weekend, and no, that's 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 accurate. That's a heavy favorite against plus the fourteen team. though. Yeah, that's a heavy. That's the league's most popular team to bet in a teaser. They need to make that teaser proof. It's fourteen points, Bafo. You had one or no? Yeah, I, I think it's just too many points in the Falcon Saints game. I think that they're. Oh yeah, here I you think go. the Bafo special. It's, it's the divisional <laughs> it's like, game. Serving it up. Oh, what's on the menu today, sir? <laughs> I just, too many points in the divisional game. Oh, again? Yeah. I, I just think it should be three or three and okay. a half, and I think that they're reacting to Desmond Ritter getting the start, and it's mm-hmm. like, is he that much worse than Mark uh, than Mariota? Like, I don't know. So I just here's think the thing: what if he is? He might. He might. <laughs> he might be. I yeah. hope but he is. The Saints, yeah. the Saints don't really, they're not doing much for me this yeah. year. So. It is, if, if Desmond Ritter is somehow worse than Mariota, because man, think about how long, this is the only thing that scares me about Desmond Ritter. And Desmond Ritter, by the way, is a guy that I wanted the Seahawks to draft. I, I, I'm a Ritter guy. I ride for Ritter. Why did they wait so long? Did they te- think the team was that bad? All they ever do is run the ball. Like, did they think they were that bad that they couldn't take a look at him over Mariota? They waited 14 weeks. Or th- Were they that patient? They said, no, you know what? We're going to... Ju- mm. It's just, it's a little... That's a little fishy, you know? Waiting that long when Marcus Mariota literally is one of the worst five quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Anyway, quick break. That was Time for Action, brought to you by DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Uh, we're going to have a chat with Dallas Braden. But what the Blue Jays are getting in Chris Bassett. Guy he's seen a little bit more up close and personal. That's next. This hasn't been the most fun offseason for Blue Jays fans up until yesterday, right? A lot, of, a lot of swing and miss in free agency. A lot of rumblings that guys maybe were more adverse to coming to Canada than we had originally thought the J strategy wasn't working out and people were mad. I was saying, hey, maybe this is the Blue Jays offseason from hell. And then, you know, I'm watching my Seahawks play and Geno Smith steps to the podium and he says, quote, my tough times would be a dream to someone else, end quote. And I think that's important perspective when we talk to Dallas Braden, who covers the athletics, who played for them. And it's like, yeah, their dream as athletics fans and observers would be to have an offseason where they get a Chris Bassett instead of just trading away another catcher and getting back. Hey, Dallas, I heard those four prospects that Oakland got, like, could be, one of them might be a decent baseball player someday. Well, that's the hope. Yeah. That, that, is, definitely, <laughs> that is definitely the hope, right? Yeah. That's, that's uh, you know, because uh, I say this about myself all the time when people, you know, and inevitably people are going to take shots at you, whether you're having a good day or a bad day. I'm not taking a shot at you. I explain to them. Yeah. No, no, but I I just, I I do. I explain to them, no, I was absolutely a baseball player, you know, and they say, well, were you any good? And I say, I was, I was for sure on the team. Yes, I was. I was on that team. And, and, and yeah, you know, look, uh, I said this about, about the Oakland A's for as long as I can remember before I was, a part of the family 
and then as a member of the family, as a player, and now as an announcer, you you, you understand the cycle. Mm-hmm. So to your point about what it would feel like as an A's fan, this is something that A's fans have grown very accustomed to. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as Jays fans are concerned, what you've just gotten, who you've just gotten, is a pretty big deal outside of just reinforcing what could arguably be the best pitching staff in that division mm-hmm. is the human being that you're getting with Chris Bassett as well. But the, the, the competitor, the competitive nature, the lead by example, as well as lead with a bark, he, he can he can do all of those things, which is really what makes Chris Bassett such a, an important part of a team trying to figure things out, trying to get themselves to that next level where playing in October is now an expectation. You know, you wake up with an involuntary contraction. You just start breathing because that's just what you do. That's what your body knows it needs to do. It never stops doing that, frankly. And that's where the Jays would like to be when it comes to playoff conversations. We know we're going to October. It's a matter of what kind of separation can we create. When you add guys like Chris Bassett, you're adding the correct ingredients to that recipe that eventually formulates that dish that has you sitting down and dining in October every year. So first of all, if anybody says, were you any good? The audacity of that, like I played in major league baseball and they're like, were you even good? (laughs) That's the rudest question that anybody (laughs) could ever ask you. That's like when you give someone free tickets and they say, where are the seats? And you go like, they're in the stadium that I just gave you the tickets for. Okay. So just go there. How about that? And I'd be saying, yeah, perfect game is pretty damn good. Okay. But man, I'm so glad that you talked about this component of Bassett though, because I obviously I want to ask you about the stuff and I want to ask you about the sinker and, and talk about some of these things of like this. Jay's staff, but like the domino here is the Jays lose Ross Stripling. And I don't know if you know Stripling, but this guy is all character, all team. He was so important to them this year and so in such a variety of different ways. No ego. I remember speaking to him about, hey, how much is being the third starter going to mean to you? And he's just like, yeah, of course. If you get into a postseason game, you get that opportunity. You're thrilled for it, excited for it. But part of the reason that people have been kind of talking about Bassett being this perfect fit is if Barrios bounces back and he gets back to form, that this isn't a guy who's going to care if he's the number three or he's the number four. And yeah, 63 or $64 million helps that. But yeah, I guess maybe if we could just expand a little bit on, you know, a guy that you said has a little bit of bark and who, yeah, brings a lot of character to an organization that I think still needs that. Well, look, it's never fun when you lose a guy like Chicken Strip and you know what kind of impact he's had on the clubhouse and you know he's a guy that fans just naturally gravitate towards because he's a hell of a dude. And you miss guys like that, regardless of what the performance on the field has looked like. I mean, yeah, you like guys to put up zeros. You like guys to drive guys in. But when you have that kind of human being in the room, it matters. It just helps things. And for Chris Bassett, I mean, let's not forget – who you're getting as far as character is concerned, you're getting a guy who wore a 112-mile-an-hour line drive off of his face and then called his teammates and apologized that he couldn't stay in the game from the hospital while he's getting his face surgically rearranged. That's who Chris Bassett is. So that gives you just a glimpse of what he expects of himself what he's willing to do every fifth day he takes the ball for his team, which is essentially go out there and die on that mound if that's what this comes to. I don't care if it's June. I don't care if it's the last start that gets us into the wild card spot. Whatever 
I need to do, I will be doing. That's how Chris Bassett rolls. And now you get into what kind of preparation this guy goes through. And he's checking boxes every single day. There's a list of things that need to get done, a list of chores. And every single day, Chris Bassett is like the shining golden child of the family. It seems like his chores are done before he's even up and out of bed. And you're wondering, well, how can that happen? Well, it's because he knows what he needs to do to get himself ready mentally, to get the body ready. And he's figured out a plan. He's figured out a routine. And that is monumental as an athlete when you're trying to figure out how to go about your business. So he's a guy that... He's got to figure it out. That's huge, right? And this is already a staff where... I, I don't know how much of that they're going to need because they they don't look like they're going to be the youngest ones, but there there should be some more younger players who come up and, and do have to see that. And, and I think that hopefully guys feed off of that type of attitude around each other, that a gamer like Manoa, a gamer like Gossman, those like a group of guys like that is only going to gel over being hardworking, prepped, uh, caring about trying to oh, win yeah. that, that that's just going to end up it's becoming something else to think about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's something else to think about, too, is where is Chris Bassett coming from this last season, right? He's coming from uh, a sandbox in which he was building sandcastles with Jacob deGrom. He was building sandcastles with Max Scherzer. So you're learning this game at a different level. Where did Chris Bassett come from? Well, White Sox farmhand trying to figure things out. Injury bug, blah, 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 blah. Lands in Oakland starts to work things out, really starts to take his game to the next level, turns into a frontline pitcher, and then got the opportunity to go and learn from potentially two of the game's greatest arms. Mm -hmm. So you got a guy who already has all of these things that motivate him intrinsically inside. He doesn't need you to light the fire, but now you start to put him around people who are doing things differently than he's ever seen them done. Because as a younger guy in Oakland, you're the leader. Right, So you don't necessarily have the luxury of kind of falling back a little and becoming a wallflower and watching other guys do things. You're, you're essentially setting the tone. And he did a phenomenal job at that. And he did a phenomenal job of creating a, a cohesive unit. You know, I can remember, look, the Oakland A's, an eclectic bunch, but I can remember a day where Sean Manaya and Chris Bassett came up to me and they had very serious looks on their face. And, you know, as an announcer, but as a guy who's, who's a friend of both of theirs, I was thinking, Oh, this is it. I said something to piss these dudes off and I'm about to get jumped on the baseball field right now. And they pulled me over and they were like, Hey, um, we got to talk to you. I was like, all right, what do you got? And, they got, and Sean Manaya pulls out from behind his back, this eight and a half foot solid gold trident. And he just like pokes it in the ground and he's, and they're both looking at me and they're like, Hey, the theme this year is ride the wave. So we're going to need somebody to steer that wave. And this is now your job. And just having the wherewithal or even the decency to bring me into their little fold. And the idea was I'm going to be giving this trident to the game's top performer, or if somebody deserves it, you know, cause I do mm-hmm. the interviews on the field after the game. And, but that's just, that was Chris Bassett and that was Sean Manaya and that was those guys trying to, again, create culture, kind of just create something to strive for each and every day as a little game within a game in that clubhouse. And you have guys like that. The game is so much more fun to play. It's so much more palatable when things don't go your way. 
but you know that when we wake up tomorrow, I'm going to have that same dude building that same castle in that same sandbox with me, and it's going to be a kick-ass day. So, That's the kind of vibe they set. Yeah, I was going to say, so So from listening to this, it sounds like, well, it sounds a lot, it sounds really great. I, we're, the, the boys are sending text messages in a group chat as you're talking about how fired up they are now for Chris Bassett. So that's a good job by you because that's, that's happening. I'm like looking at my phone like, why is this blowing up right now? And they're just like, dude, that was fire me up. He's my favorite, Jay. Sounds like he is a guy who, yeah, has a pulse for feeling guys around a room who has been, yeah, who, who knows his kind of roots as a player and is able to connect to a lot of different guys. And yeah, maybe like leads by example by, as you said, plays in the same sandbox and checks all the same boxes every day, but also isn't afraid to hold players accountable. No, that's a, and that right there. That's part of that friendly competition thing we talk about, because if you and I have already come to an understanding where, look, you just went seven innings, you know, my job is to now go eight, eight and two thirds, probably finish this damn thing. That's what we're doing here. All right. That's how we're living our life. Do you understand that? If so, great. We're going to have a phenomenal, phenomenal partnership. If you don't understand that everything you do well, I'm going to be trying to do better to not only drive you, but to drive me, which is going to drive us. If you can't get that through your head, if that can't become a part of your DNA chain, then buddy, we're just not going to mix. We're going to be vinegar and water or oil and water, whatever the hell doesn't go together. But that's going to be how this goes. And that's what Chris Bassett, again, just the, the presence of a guy. And I, I talk a lot about guys who command respect of a room as opposed to walk in and demand the respect that they have not earned. Chris Bassett is one of these guys who is growing into a commander of respect. When you walk into a room, you stop talking you look, you listen, and you wonder what's coming out of the mouth of a guy like that because it's probably going to help somebody younger than him. And that is a very special characteristic to have. And that is what we talk about when you have almost an extra staff member on the field like the Cardinals had in Yachty Molina for, for two decades behind the dish. They haven't needed a manager in 25 years. They've had Yachty Molina behind the dish for crying out loud. You got somebody like that in, in your clubhouse, in that room. You, you don't have to worry about how things are going. And, and Bassey just, he, he just adds to that, man. He just adds to that. And, and talking about this, this rotation that, that you guys have up there. Uh, I mean, for a guy who can be on the front line, that doesn't necessarily have to be here is, and, and that just adds to the potency of what's going on one through five. So the the character, and I, I love the way that you put that, the, you know, commands respect doesn't demand respect. It also is helped when you're a guy who, uh, since 2020, is 11th in ERA around baseball, right? Well, like when the results are there. So let's talk a little bit about the stuff. How how good is that sinker? <laughs> well, it, uh, I, I used to tease him. You know, I, I tell him, well, you don't throw hard. So you can't throw a sinker. But you throw, he's like, buddy, 95. <laughs> Yeah, Bass, you know, that was, that was cute in the 90s, buddy. That was cute. And that's why I used to, you know, I, I'd rib them a little. But we're, we're talking about a pitch at times that when that thing is rolling, it looks like it just ricochets off something and starts diving down towards the back foot like a left-handed slider to a right-handed hitter. Uh, it, it's a weapon that has allowed him to really, I think, build more confidence in his ability to pitch up in the zone when necessary because he knows, should I not get that swing and miss up there? 
Should I find myself back even in account or maybe even behind in account early in this at bat? I know I've got a weapon that I could go to early. I've got a weapon that I could go to late and garner swing and miss with this thing if I need to. But it's, it's really like finding, you know, it's, it's like finding the answers to the test and nobody else knows you have them. Like, okay, you know where all the B answers are. You don't have every answer to the test, but if you're in trouble, you know that you've got this. And that's kind of what that sinker has been for Bassey. And his, look, <laughs> I love it because he's not afraid to pitch, again, elevated with the fastball and then drop that 67-mile-an-hour curveball on you and, and, and just kind of start baffling guys. What I really love about him, and I've watched this early on, and I've watched it so many times, at some point in time in the game, and it could be the third pitch of the game, it could be in the second inning of the game, it could be in the middle of the first, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever he's thinking, you're going to watch him almost cycle through the thought process on the mound. And you'll watch him change. He'll go from wind-up at times back to the stretch. And that's mm-hmm. just to say, you know what? Thought I was going one way. Things aren't going how I'd like them to. I'm going to hit reset right now. Boop, into the stretch. We're done messing around with any of that. And, and you can just watch him make these adjustments. One thing I will say about Bass, and uh, you know, I think it all depends on, on your perspective. Um, Folks who are familiar with him will tell you that uh, that he is a deliberate worker. You know, folks who are unfamiliar with him could possibly and wisely label him a human rain delay at times because, as I said, he starts to think his way through what's going on out there. He's not just out there trying to outstuff guys, mm-hmm. and that matters to me. When you're watching a guy feel his way through a lineup, feel his way through an opponent for the first time, you're gathering information, right? It's almost like a recon mission, but you still got to get the job done. And that's what watching Chris Bassett work through a lineup at times can feel like is watching an artist, you know, really just slowly watch that picture develop in his brain and then bring it to life on canvas. And you look up and it's like seven innings of sparkling baseball. You think the pitch clock's going to hurt him then? Uh, it will be a very real competition, Chris Bassett versus the pitch clock, uh, as well as many, many others. Because I can tell you, the last month of the season, we sort of, for our viewers' sake, sort of shifted gears and started talking about that, knowing that it was going to be a bigger part of the game. And there were times, yes, where Chris Bassett was falling victim to the pitch clock. And that was across the league everywhere. So it wasn't just endemic to Chris Bassett, but there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys who are going to have to figure that out, know that they're going to have to just kick it up a gear so that they're not dealing with that pitch clock. But side note, the whole conversation around that pitch clock and how it's instituted, how it's policed, that's going to be something to pay attention to because as we know in baseball, there's a lot of rules on the books that don't get enforced mm. and it's just kind of how the umpires feel in that day. Yep. So I'd be interested to see just how tightly this is uh, policed. Yeah. My guess is tighter earlier and then starts to loosen up when people start to get pissed. And then hopefully my, and I was talking about this with a buddy the other day. I, I wish that they would just kind of abandon some of these things come playoff time and just say, who cares? Like who's ever going to complain about a four hour playoff game? If it's good, just, just let it run. Just let it go. Um, that's interesting with him because, yeah, if you're a guy who's thinking through the lineup and you're, yeah, the human rain delay, 
um, you hope that that doesn't become frustrating for you or that doesn't flare up during a game and throw you out of a rhythm because, dude, that's what this guy has been, right? The last three years is just consistency. He eats innings. He doesn't walk batters. Fewer than 7% of his batters in all three of those seasons. Um, not a huge, like you mentioned, not a huge punch out, overwhelm you guys. Some good plus pitches. But this is the, the curious one for me is I love... Like, when you start to get familiar with a pitcher and you start to watch them a long time, you start to feel like, okay, this is when he really has it versus this is when he's just okay. And for a guy that's consistent sure. like him, you know, who kind of has that repertoire of, I'm going to think my way through this, I'm going to have a, my good pitch mix. H- how do you tell when Chris Bassett's on? The, the quality of misses. And yeah. I think this can be said for a lot of guys and the difference between, you know, going good, going great. Uh, is the quality of misses and how competitive around the strike zone the misses are. Because if you're a guy who's out there, you know, and and Bassett, for example, sinker, let's just say it's starting in and it's ending up in off to a right-handed hitter four to six inches every time. Well, he's obviously not gathering a feel for that pitch. Now the slider, 86, tight, but it's off the plate, away to a righty, three, four inches. And then he, he gives you a fastball upper part of the strike zone for a strike. You get the sense he's not really putting it where he wants to. He's sort of flirting with the strike zone. And now you flip the coin. And what does it look like when Chris Bassett is dialed up? He is clipping that black down and away to a right-handed hitter, a ball that starts two to three inches off to a, to a right-hander and comes back hitter knew he had no chance at that. That's a pitch where you say he comes back and goes, I didn't get a strike. And you're going, well, you just punched out. So you got at least three of them from my Mm -hmm. count. And he's going, I couldn't hit any of them though. Do you understand that? I couldn't do anything with any one of those. And that's the sinker that starts the at bat. And then it could be the curveball that slows you down. There could be that fastball up top where you swing, maybe you check at it. And now he knows. I got you biting, right? And then it's that slider, just an inch and a half, maybe two down and away that is dotted up and the hitter is flailing at. Why? Because he just got a taste of that bowling ball coming at him, 92, 94, in on the hands. He doesn't want any part of that. But Chris Bassett knows that. He's got that slider tucked away tightly for a rainy day. Boom, lights you up, down and out. Thanks for coming. And you're just watching him go about it surgically, almost like, you can now start to call the pitch. You know where it's going to be. It's there. You know what the next one is. He does. He executes. And, and you're now watching a guy essentially just sort of toy with his food. Yeah. Um, again, this guy projects out extremely well. Um, you mentioned all the character stuff. This, this, this fit is perfect, dude. Like, this is a really, really good fit for the Blue Jays. But part of the reasoning, too, has been, hey, is he going to end up being the number three or is he going to be the number four? Last one before let you go. Where's your level of confidence that Jose Barrios finds his game again? Because, yeah, that's a guy who finished the season with an ERA over five. And really, like, it, it, was, it wasn't just one thing or another. It was, a, it was a multitude of things that were working against him last season. So the, how I look at that is, and, and if we're in a trust tree here, yeah, uh, we are. Barrios was my, my preseason uh, Cy Young Award winner. That's who I had pegged for my preseason Cy Young. Dude, a lot who's, of people liked this? him because Chapman, Barrios. right? He was going to turn balls over, get him to Chapman. He was going to throw him out over the first. And it was like Barrios was just going to click all year long. A lot of people had that. You were alone. And, and that, was, that, that was a hope. That was, uh, you know, borderline. I think that's a great expectation for Barrios to have around him. And the reason I say that is because after a year like he just had, 
I think at some point you have to kind of, you know, have that talk with the man in the mirror and go, look, I don't know that it can get much worse than that. So we're good there because it's not going to be worse than that. So from here, we move on. We get back to doing the things that make Jose Barrios the incredible competitor that he is. And, uh, yeah, I, I just – I think what the Blue Jays have – in front of them right now, as far as a pitching staff. And I, I said, this, probably the best in the division. They've got a really, mm-hmm. really good chance to let this staff kind of lead the way. And I know you might be thinking offensively, this is where we want to hurt people. And I, I, I get it. I get it. But I think that pitching staff has the opportunity to set the tone for who this team is to maybe even set the identity because you've got some competitors on that staff that aren't going to take anything from anybody when it comes to competing. Alec Manoa has let you know that. And I love every bit of that. And you follow a guy like, or you follow that up with a guy like Chris Bassett. You're, you're, you're not losing much. I promise you that. And what you're gaining as far as stuff and, and competitive nature. I mean, this, this dude is, is going to fit right in, going to fit right in. And he even said himself, I, I was talking to him yesterday. And he said, look, man, I just, how do I pass up the opportunity? You know, like, look, he, he talked to Marcus Simeon, about what life was like there. Hmm. Obviously, he's got the ear of Matt Chapman. So you do your homework, you, you, you get a feel, you, you play against these guys, and, and you realize, you know what? I think I can be a part of something special here. Why why wouldn't I take that opportunity? Was there something in particular, too, that, that he really cared about when he was coming to Toronto outside of the money? Like something that he brought up with you? Uh, no, no. I think, I think the biggest takeaway is just uh, understanding that, and, and look, guys love the idea of having the support of a nation. And I know it gets talked about like that. And you guys understand the difference. You're like, well, we're kind of up in this one little area here. So it's not like we got folks from Ottawa flying in and and hanging out, but uh, we like the Jays. We do. And that shows that shows that players gravitate towards things like that. Absolutely. So I'm not saying it was a huge selling point, but the idea that you've got people that are packed in that house You've got an energy in that room. I mean, good Lord. When we were up there at the beginning of the year last year, watching Jordan Romano's cl- like closer music and watching mm-hmm. the place go, it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And Chris Bassett is, uh, is somebody who I strongly believe deserves that kind of support. And he is a guy who feeds off of that kind of energy. So uh, what the six has coming to them by way of a performer, uh, I-, I think he is going to be, just as lucky to receive that kind of support. He knows that. Well, yeah. Uh, again, a lot of people are were already excited about it because, yeah, when you start to get things like fan graphs as aligned with the people talking about his character and his personality, uh, yeah, people get stoked on a guy. And so, yeah, this was fun, Dallas. I, I always appreciate you coming on, but this was awesome getting your perspective on a, a guy that you know and a, a guy that, yeah, now we can all say that we're rooting for here. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, anytime. Like I said, I, I I know you folks up north are tough. You come from a different cloth. Just remember, Me, yeah. I started this letting you know yeah. that you had a dude wear a line drive off of yeah. his face and was ready to take the ball for the next half inning. That's yeah. who you're getting in Chris Bassett. Yeah, guess what? Now we're going to have a new test in this show, in the studio. Everybody's going to have to do that and see how they feel and how they respond. And yeah, it's going to be the Bassett test, and we're going to see, like you know, who who are yeah, the actual I, dogs yeah, you in just this room? Walk them. Yeah, 
That's it. Walk them right into the room yeah. and just lay into them. Just a right. liner right off the face. If they get up, if they get up, Dog. fabulous. Yeah. You know, if Dog. they make it to the chair, yeah. even better. If yeah. they can talk, no, that's a plus. Plus. Anything other than that, out. Gone. No chance. Not in the city Gone. that keeps Chris Bassett. <laughs> Hell no. The boys, boys are on the hot seat. Boys are on the hot seat. Uh, Dallas Braden, you're the man. Thanks for making time, buddy. Always, always. Thanks for having me, man. Take care, brother. Dallas Braden. Uh, yeah, owner of A Perfect Game. Baseball is dead podcast. A's analyst. Former Oakland Athletic himself. That's the only question I have about Bassett. Where does he slot in? Three or four? What does Brios do about that? Is he the three? Is he the four? I love the idea of having another uber competitive big guy in the rotation next to Manoa. That is all kinds of hot. That is uh, many, many levels of hot. And yeah, again, you, I can go over the numbers all, all day because basically every number you look up with this guy is a positive one. Zips, the projection system, says that, yeah, he's going to have a, a real impact when it comes to Fangraph's war over the next three seasons of this deal. This doesn't even feel like, um, honestly, this doesn't even feel like a deal. I know given his age, but the, the pitch mix, the way that he plays, the stuff would tell you that there is more likelihood that this guy performs well throughout the, the entire term of this contract. This is a great deal. A guy who, again, fits in, Fits the culture, sounds like he's excited and gets what it means to be a Blue Jay. And I know that, okay, what Dallas said is a little cliche, right? That is kind of the thing that a lot of guys point to. They say it's different playing for a nation and it's different when you're in the Rogers Center and the, it's coming down on you and it's so loud. But those things are true. And that is part of kind of getting it and deciding to come to Toronto and be here. Is that, yeah, you do have a larger, wider resident resonance that it is a city that... When the Jays are hot, supports the hell out of the Blue Jays. And that building gets as hot as anywhere in all of baseball when the games start to get important. And to me, that is a, a nice marker. That someone who played in Oakland, like Chris Bassett, wants to be somewhere where they're trying to spend money and they're trying to win. And that just went out and got a bunch of guys that were already there that he knew in Semyon, in Chapman. And probably got glowing reviews from those guys. Said, yeah, it is really fun to play here. This is going to be great. So maybe that's just what continues is the Blue Jays-Oakland pipeline. Just that's what ends up happening here. So they just keep doing their history of Oakland guys is pretty damn good. So I'm expecting some of that. But yes, having that competitive guy, the hound, the Bassett hound, step to it, deliver big performances, and yeah, outthink his competition. I will admit that we've all got things to do. And so hearing someone be described as the human rain delay is why I'm thrilled that there is a pitch clock. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a little disappointed that it might impact his career negatively in a bit in some way, but I'm guessing that he'll be just fine. And I like I said, well, Basset hound. Yeah, it's That's great. Electric. Anyway. Um, like I said, find me the hole in the signing. Do you know what the holes are? You had to give up a second round pick and 500 K. That's it. End of negative list as of right now when it comes to Chris Bassett signing. Anyway. At 590, the fan. Can't believe you just played the instrumental on this song. Weak. Chicken. You're a coward. Austin, you're a coward. 
Good show today. Good guests. Everybody's giving a little bit of information. Bobby, give it a little, always good to get Bobby to explain what guys' values are and what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Stand by it. We'll continue to stand by it. Even if the Raptors start to tear off some wins, I'm telling you, it's going to be really, really difficult for me to see a scenario now where I say, yep, nope, run it back again. Run everybody back and hope that your first-round pick and mid-level exception are the difference next year. Yeah, not going to happen. And with the Jays, yeah, I, I don't know what else there is to say about Chris Bassett. Like, I don't know what else we're supposed to be doing. He's obviously excited. He's calling Dallas Braden about being excited to come play for the Blue Jays. He's got great mix of pitches. Guy that doesn't walk people. A guy that comes prepared, as he mentioned, who just does all his homework. Leads by example, but isn't afraid to speak up in the room. And I love the, the description of he demands uh, or he, he commands a presence and respect and doesn't demand it. Because I do think that there's a huge difference, right? This is why I always say, like, you can't rule by fear. Mm-hmm. Got to rule with love. Got to mm-hmm. rule by love. Anyway, what did we miss? He's also, I, talking I, to, he's also talking to Kevin Gosman on Twitter. They're excited. It's pretty who, cool. Who's tweeting at him? Chris Bassett. Yeah. That, Chris Bassett's it's, social media, it's just cool though, to see. Social media took a hit. Oh. <laughs> One of my favorite Twitter accounts, Spence, he posted like four clips of, or four posts of Chris Bassett social media. And Did yeah. you see the Eminem one? It's a picture of Eminem in a wig, and it says, if you can't handle me at my palms are sweaty, you don't deserve me at my mom's spaghetti. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and then he replied to some guy in the comments hey. section just said, can't handle the spaghetti. Ah. <laughs> Okay, he's almost perfect, Chris Bassett. We can forgive his horrific Facebook. Okay, have, like, I never, I have Facebook Messenger on my phone, and it's mm-hmm. it's for group chats, right? I still have it there. It has a, a, a diminishing function. It's really only one thing there. Sometimes people message me there and I go, what are you doing? Like, what are you? My mom still tries to message me sometimes on Facebook Messenger, and I go, okay, my sister too. Mm-hmm. But it's a very limited group of people that try to hit me up there. I don't even have notifications on it. Like, because there's too I. many notifications from the NFL, like, fantasy group chat that you got to turn them off. And then I, 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 that's at my own leisure, you know? That's yeah. my, I'll, I'll do that on Sundays and some other days throughout the week, but I'm not having my phone blow up with my idiot friends asking <laughs> me what tiebreaker rules, you know what I mean? Like, Here's, yeah. here's my answer. It'll sort itself out. <laughs> you know, like that's <laughs> almost everything on those things. Anyway, um, but it's very rare where I go on Facebook. I'm super sad about Facebook because one of the oversights of someone my age is that you used to have a ton of pictures on there from your younger days and you would go, oh, that's sweet that those are all there. And then people delete their Facebooks and those uh, pictures go away and you don't have them. Mm. And so I feel at times like there is lost youth. You know, some probably good. I know because you guys are. Yeah. I, thanks, Joe. So I said so my age. All right. So here's my recommendation is if you're my age, you know, and you got stuff on Facebook that isn't yours, but you like go save it. Go take some time and rifle through there and, and grab some of those shots. Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. When you do end up on Facebook, which for me is very, very seldom um, and you scroll through the actual feed. It is a wasteland. <laughs> it's brutal. It is terrifying. People are just out there. Uh, Shane Gillis talks about tweeting for the love of the game. That's what that is. This Facebook is for the love of the game. Like people who are in that, they are in the Facebook trenches just posting just the worst memes you could possibly imagine. Uh, it's always people that want to take a stance on something. It's like long form. Hey, 
these are my beliefs and they're never good. They're or like never... weird minion memes. Oh, just, yeah, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's bad. And Chris Bassett is in there. He's doing work on Facebook pages with those memes. It's so good. And those quote, oh, God, inspirational quote person. That is just an all-time bad social media presence is here's a screenshot of an inspirational yeah. post with a different font and a picture of an animal behind it or yeah just no that's not where you want to be on social media i like it personally yeah, and i, I like that chris bassett is like that guy i hope he shares some during the season yeah you're the type of guy who's gonna like it in earnest and go that is nice he's I gonna send to the group chat quote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the lion doesn't concern itself with the opinions of the sheep he genuinely i don't really like that, that one i feel like that one's yeah. taken yeah hashtag yeah. get yeah. your mind right ones, yeah. oh yeah other ones yeah hashtag, hashtag lion hashtag get your mind right. hashtag lion yeah <laughs> anyway that we've we've gassed up chris bassett a lot today i think that this is fair okay like this is a fair criticism of him is his social media game his social media postings he's just so, a quirky guy you know yeah facebook mom yeah anyway oof Actually, not the Facebook moms that concern me the most. It's usually the Facebook guys you went to high school with. You're like, wait. So I haven't really encountered that. I, I forgot about your existence. Oh, you're out here stoling your opinions, huh? Okay. I won't say nothing more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> say less. Do less. That's what I always try to tell me. Usually social media, that's what I, I tell 90% of people. Maybe even a higher percentage. But yeah, if you're posting on Facebook... And you're doing those quote boards. Uh, I promise you that n the the number of motivated to annoyed slash eye rolls is got to be one to you know one in a million. It's the Pete out there. I like it. He says, "Dork." Anyway, what what do we miss? Uh, well, JD, um, yeah. there was a post on Reddit r slash Calgary. Mm -hmm. uh, someone received a very mean note from their neighbor. No, don't frame it like that. You posted this on your social media. <laughs> That's why this is here. Pete posted on his Instagram a picture of just read the note. Okay. Um, yeah, a yes. picture of this note. I posted the picture of yeah. this note. Uh, congratulations. You have won the humbug award mm -hmm. because you chose to be a Grinch and not put up Christmas lights. You have disappointed all the children, young and old, in your community. LED lights are inexpensive to run. That's true. And can be purchased even in secondhand stores for reasonable prices. Probably true as well. It can last years. Who's doing that? I'm sure cost is not an issue, and it is more about being too busy with your devices than anything else. Yeah, that's true too. Do like, you remember when you were a child and you saw all the Christmas so lights on your street? What happened? Next year, do better and bring a smile to those in need. But remember, you still have time. It only takes a little effort to make a big difference. Love strong and love long. Putting lights up for other faiths counts too. Ooh. Why not show oh your goodness. pride with color? Happy holidays. Okay. That was so long. So, and yeah, that, that, it does. At the end, I was kind of like, okay, wrap it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Pete posts this, and I think that this happens in his building. And I'm going, this is the whole show. And it turns out <laughs> that he just took it from Reddit and used it in his own feed and then... Yeah, basically betrayed the trust of people and, oh, he doesn't know how social media works. You know, he's 26 years old. He knows exactly how social media works. He knew, he knew what he was doing. He was, this was a fish for attention. He wanted people to reach out. It's fine. We all do it, but you did it in a very bad way. Moon jail for you. But also, <laughs> the, um, the person who posted this, I'm not offended. My, my first thought was not the I'm offended by someone being oblivious to someone else's uh, religious choices when it comes to Christmas or, you know, celebratory choices. Because, like, yeah, 
That just happens. We think that as a society, we're doing okay there. Everybody compromised with happy holidays. Not a lot of say Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. You guys say happy holidays. Otherwise, you moon jail for you. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, no. I'm out of the loop here. Yeah, no. Pete is. He's aware. He's Pete, Pete's aware. Pete's, <laughs> he made Pete's it. up on actually probably happy holidays. too offensive for him. He's like, some people don't even celebrate holidays. So it's rude to say that. So you could be going through something. It's like, okay, Pete. Uh, anyway, uh, he's probably offended by something. What I was offended by in this letter is the idea of, because this is from an apartment complex, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. If you're part of an apartment complex, there's an unwritten rule. Like, I, I, don't, I want anonymity. <laughs> you know, like, I, I have, I live in an apartment building. It's a small one. And it's a few neighbors who have known each other for years. I like, hi, how are you doing? That's it. Once I start to try to get involved in the other thing, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, no, you are violating the code. The idea that you would step to someone and tell them, like, it, if you're in a big condo building, you're an owner of things, you know, you've decided you can be a part of the board. There's like a rules. Oh. By the way, those people are insane too. The people yeah. who are like, I'm part of the tenant, but I'm like, you need things to do. <laughs> you got get a job. You got to get stuff get a job. on your agenda because this is too much. Who has the time for this? Anyway, I, I, I think that part of the code, living in a big city, and this is why I was offended, especially living in Toronto, is like, hey, Maybe we should have more sense of community. Yeah, but not this way. Not forced in my apartment building, please. If someone's doing that, doing... If anybody is in the apartment building and thinks that they are the boss of the, you know, like the landlord or the adjacent to the land, like, that's a... Yeah, that's about as bad of a person as you can be. I think that it's like war criminal and then that person (laughs) is the ranking of worst people on earth. Is the person who lives in an apartment building like, from war you know what? criminal to that? I think I'll take this into my hands. And you go, no, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, how'd you get my email? <laughs> like, uh, was this distributed? Because I, I'm not a big fan of you owning this. Anyway, uh, Pete, um, for a guy who is very against misappropriation, you took somebody else's uh, thing and you labeled it as your own um, kind of misappropriation. I thought it was funny. Kind. Um, yeah. no, more content on Peace and Love Sports. Yes, yeah, Peace and Love Sports. Peace and Love Sports. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. What's next? Uh, the NBA is renaming all of their major awards. Yeah, okay. So to I, follow... I, I missed this entirely. Yeah. I, like it, the, it came in this morning. I, yeah. I saw it when I got to the building. Uh, so I'll just read you the, the ones that um, have been posted on Twitter. So the mm-hmm. MVP is called the Michael Jordan Trophy. Sure. Defensive Player of the Year is the Hakeem Olajuwon. In honor Olajuwon. of them not giving it to him enough times. True. Okay. Uh, the Defensive Player of the Year, Hakeem Olajuwon Trophy. Gauging Ooh. your reaction. Okay, keep going. Uh, Rookie of the Year, Wilt Chamberlain Trophy. Okay. Makes sense. Sixth Man of the Year, John Havlicek Trophy. Okay. Most Improved, George Mikan Trophy. Okay. And the new Clutch Player of the Year is the Jerry West Trophy. Hmm. Clutch Player of the Year. I'm wondering how they're they're going to gauge that. That feels like a shot at Jerry West. (laughs) (laughs) After the year he just had with the Showtime Laker thing where they turn him into the alcoholic bozo (laughs) character to then be, and this just feels sinister. Like they're staring at him going, and the most clutch award, like, you know, bobbing their heads side to side. And the most clutch guy, as everybody knows. Jerry West. <laughs> That's I, the thing about Jerry is he was good in the finals, right? Yeah. But that is, he's just the logo. You don't need to. 
They gave him the logo, and then they said, oh, you're also 1-8 and eight in the final. I'm just Let's saying, people people oftentimes go, oh, the logo should change. No, the logo is fine, okay? Yeah. The logo is fine. It's a great logo. It's an awesome silhouette. Mm-hmm. Him being the logo is an awesome legacy that continues forever and ever and ever, right? Yeah. And the NBA's logo is beautiful. Like, it's, it's who, who has a better logo? The NFL shield? No way. NHL shield? No way. They're all shields. They're crap. The NBA has the awesome silhouette of one of its game's iconic players, one of the first guys to really get the jump shot down to mm-hmm. a different level, right? Just a... A pioneer player with an awesome story. Yeah, like Jerry West is awesome. Yeah. A competitor who was MJ before MJ in the sense of would like wanted to win at all costs. How many mm-hmm. time? Three minutes? Two minutes. Anyway, um, calling him the most clutch guy is rude. That's rude. That's really rude. Kim Olajuwon, greatest defense player, is intro- like he's really good. Okay. NBA all-time leader in blocks. Yeah. That's interesting. I actually wouldn't have guessed that. I don't love that choice. Who would you have had, though? Dikembe. And he's won it more times than Akeem Olajuwon, too. Yeah. But that's actually kind of... But here's the here's the thing. Akeem, better defender than Dikembe. Dikembe all flash. Got you guys with the finger wag. You know, that's branding. <laughs> that's branding. That's good marketing. Um, I hope that the George Mike and most improved one is interesting. I said that the starter drill for a kid is called the Mike and drill, but Jobo pointed out that a lot of years over his career, he diminishes a player, but it is nice that the NBA shouts out George Mike and because he is a foundational player for them. And what about John Havacek over Manny Ginobili for six men of the year? I, that's one that I've seen a lot. A lot of people are saying that. Oh, but here's be... the thing. I kind of like that. One of the cool things about the NBA is that there is a real historical tie in with yeah, the league true. that you that's do true. know the players and yeah, I guess there is also a recency bias, too, among That's people on social is, media. They yeah, see people Ginobili. go, Manny is better yeah. than him, and you go, okay. Even like, if there is a case for it. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's what's difficult with these awards. People will always do a, oh, it should be this guy. And people are saying Kareem instead of Michael Jordan, which is ridiculous, but they're like, oh, he won it more times. Yeah, like, well, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Make like, a case for Anyway, anyone. I'm glad I'm not involved in any of these debates because, yeah. Here's what I can promise you. I'll never care because yeah. I'll never call Depoy. Are you up for the Akeem? <laughs> like no, <laughs> I just won't do that. Yeah, except for the Havlicek this year. No, it's just not like it's a nice little thing that they've done. But yeah, I'm not in a few decades though. No, I don't we'll think I'll so. always be Depoy. Anyway, uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave five stars, do all those damn things, and then we'll talk to you tomorrow. See you then.